All right. Hello, everybody. It's October 20th, Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and this is Marketing Live. I'm your host, Kin Sagepal, short for Kinnery, but you can call me Kin. I serve as the Associate Vice President for Marketing, Branding, and Creative at Dropbox Institute of Technology, also known as RIT. We are all about short forms today. On today's live broadcast, we're talking about trademarks and licensing in higher education and why it matters even beyond athletics. Marketing Live is a part of the Higher Ed Live Network. All our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. And I'm sure you'll agree with that when I introduce my hosts or guests, rather. Be a part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge Participate in today's discussion by tweeting us using the hashtag HigherEdLive. You can also access Marketing Live on the go by subscribing to our podcast. Today's live broadcast is powered by Platform Q Education's Conduit Online Engagement Platform. Learn how to integrate continuous online engagement into your marketing and enrollment plans using Conduit. Visit platformqedu.com. All of our episodes are recorded. They're free and easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com or take Higher Ed Live with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. M. Stoner has teamed up with Target X to design a survey focusing on how prospective team students use a range of digital tools, social media, websites, email, and digital ads during the college search and selection process and learn what information is most helpful at each stage of the journey. This 2019 digital admissions research offers rich insights into the nuances of their behavior as they make a vital decision in their lives. Be among the first to hear the findings and join M. Stone on this Wednesday, October 30th, at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, for a free webinar. I'll be sending out a tweet to the registration information shortly. All right, with that said, let's get on with the show. I'm pleased to welcome Erica Austin and Steve Bush, both of whom I have come to know very well through my work at Purdue and at RIT. Erica Austin joined Purdue Marketing Media in summer 2016 as the manager of trademarks and licensing. In this role, she manages and protects the Purdue brand while leveraging licensed vendors to enhance the university development and visibility nationwide. Welcome, Erica. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We also have Steve Bush, who was University of Michigan's first brand manager in 2012. He now serves as a consultant in higher education space, also for nonprofits and for-profit entities and has done a lot of work in the trademarks and licensing area. Glad to have you, Steve. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for the invite. Great. I'm so happy to have colleagues that I know really well on this broadcast and also who can speak very intelligently about this subject. And so I'm sure our listeners and viewers are going to enjoy what you have to say today. Again, a plug for Higher Ed Live. If you have any questions, you can tweet us using the hashtag Higher Ed Live. In the meantime, I'm gonna start with some questions of my own. 
So Steve and Erica, tell the viewers here online and perhaps those who might be listening to the podcast on the go, a little bit about yourselves, um, your interest, um, and how did you come into the field of trademarks and licensing? I'll let Erica go first. Great. Well, I started in trademarks and licensing in 2003 when I became the director of licensing at the NCAA national office in Indianapolis. And uh, prior to that, I had very limited uh, T&L experience, but I had brand management experience uh, in corporate America. So I was a brand manager um, at Eli Lilly and Company, and then as well with Deloitte and Touche, now just Deloitte. Um, I would say that my experience of having brand as well as having athletic experience led me to the position at the NCAA. And um, I think the, the biggest learning there was that being the licensing director at the NCAA didn't mean that I managed the licensing programs for the individual universities. Really, the NCAA license um, didn't take effect until postseason. So when um, the NCAA had their postseason championships, uh, we would utilize our licensing program to develop merchandise for those championships, such as Final Four, March Madness, um, and some of, some of our other popular uh, championships. Um, so I've been doing trademark and licensing since 2003 at the NCAA. Uh, I left the NCAA in 2010 and went to Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where I was the assistant athletic director for compliance and for licensing. I was there for five years until I came to Purdue in 2016 and have had that role uh, since then. Great, La, as we'll get into this a little bit later, how trademarks and licensing did in fact originate in the athletics arena, no pun intended, and um, how it's making a shift as you have made your career shift and finding yourself more in the Institute's branding and marketing groups. So Steve, I'll let you go now. Right, thank you. Well, I think I think if you look at Erica's career, uh, it, it follows the, 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 the narrative right now that we're seeing in higher ed, and that is the origins of things coming out of athletics and finding their way into the academic space. My own career, uh, I, had, I had about 15 years as a creative director in the agency world, and then I took a leap to the corporate side and worked for Microsoft out in Seattle for a couple years, and that's really where I cut my teeth on real branding um, and uh, oversaw the implementation of the uh, Microsoft Office uh, 2007 launch um, with the uh, managing the online uh, presence there. Uh, I came back to uh, the, uh, came back to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I'm originally from, and found myself uh, working for the University of Michigan as a creative director for the uh, Ross School of Business, uh, and I had some good success there in regards to branding the the uh, the school and the 13 academic uh, degree granting programs, which led me to a position. Uh, that the university created at the central level in an effort to try and corral the 19 schools and colleges and 30-plus institutes and centers around uh, a single identity at the University of Michigan, which is, uh, of course, the Block M. 
And I left the university, as Kinna mentioned, at the end of 2018 to pursue uh, a role in consulting and some other interests, uh, but, uh, but still follow very closely um, what's happening. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, so we do we have, have some, some... Um, Big Ten representation here, <laughs> but I would like to add that Steve has done some work even outside of Big Ten. Um, he right. has most recently done some work for RIT, which doesn't have, it's not a Big Ten school, nor is it a D1 school. So. I think what you'll find through Erica's trajectory thus far and Steve's consulting work in in and outside of Big Ten and D1 athletics is something that is applicable to really everybody who works on the academic marketing side of the house. Mm -hmm. So having said that, I would like to dive right in and first get to the basics, which is what is trademarks and licensing? What is that field and what what was it and what is it today? Sure, would you like me for me to take that? Sure, anyone can go. Okay, so trademarks and licensing really is about um, what we say at Purdue, three, three functions and that the primary function is protecting your brand and protecting your trademarks. Um, and then from that, it is profiting off of your, your trademarks and your brand and, and then promoting your, your trademarks and your brand. Um, so the way that I like to look at it is trademarks and licensing really is just an extension of your overall marketing plan. And it really should be an extension of any type of brand awareness uh, campaigns that you are implementing on your campus. Um, as Ken has mentioned, typically uh, my position would sit in athletics. Um, when I was at Middle Tennessee State University, I sat in athletics and worked with campus marketing. Um, here at Purdue, I actually sit in marketing and media and work with uh, athletics. Um, and so it is a little bit of a different shift Within the Big Ten, the majority of our licensing directors sit either in marketing and media or procurement or in the foundation areas of the university. Um, there are a couple that do sit in athletics, but um, really I think the majority sit more on the campus setting than in athletics. But there's always that relationship of working with athletics. Um, you know, I think it's very important for universities to understand what marks they do have trademarked. And then um, if, you, if you don't know what marks you have trademarked, trying to build that portfolio so that you are adding that protection for your university and its marks and its verbiage that is used. So for example, at Purdue University, we have Purdue University federally registered, and then we have Boiler Up federally registered as well. Um, and, and that helps in protecting, especially if you think about on a campus, there you're usually in a campus community in a city where your campus takes over most of, of that community. Um, that allows you to protect your brand from other organizations, other what I like to call entrepreneurs, uh, wanting to use your marks and profit off of those 
where then those profits don't come back to the university. At Purdue, the way that our royalty structure is um, formulated is that all of the royalties garnered from licensed product comes back to the university. And then 50% of that royalty goes into the general scholarship fund where the other 50% goes to athletics. Um, at Middle Tennessee, it was a little bit different since I was housed in athletics in that 100% of the royalties would go back to athletics. And then athletics would give a stipend to campus marketing to use each year. Um, but really trademarks and licensing is about those three things, protecting your brand, uh, promoting your brand and profiting off your brand. And if you can do that collaboratively with what your campus marketing mission is, then that's when you see true profits come in. Right. I, I, I agree. I think um, you've captured some really um, solid foundations around trademark and licensing in higher ed. And I'm sure that the listeners will uh, know and, and, and can relate. Uh, my experience at the University of Michigan is similar but slightly different. And I know that that's different uh, at RIT as well. And uh, that's one of the interesting components of higher ed is, is it's a little bit like the uh, European Union in that there are um, just so many different cultures and sort of historical norms or ownership of uh, parts of a university. And, and some of those historical things maybe find their way into the 21st century where maybe it doesn't make sense any longer, but it is the way it is. And I can relate at, the, at I can share that at the University of Michigan, which had a uh, which was really at the forefront of of taking the identity of the athletic department and really using it to generate revenue for the university and primarily for the athletic department. And so at the University of Michigan, the uh, the trademarks and licensing uh, representative does sit in athletics. And the uh, nearly 100% of the revenue generated by the athletic by, by the trademarks and licensing office is athletic in its nature uh, at the University of Michigan, and so the majority of those funds do go directly back into the athletic department, nearly 100%. And what I found when I was at the university was we've got 19 schools and colleges. And each one of those schools and colleges has its own identity, has its own alumni base and its own pride points. And uh, it was really, there was an opportunity, there was a missed opportunity there to help generate revenue for each one of those schools and colleges based on those individuals that have affinity for those programs or those degree granting programs and so on. And so while I was not in a position to take on the athletic department and unwind that historical funding, what I was able to do was create an additional suite of identity for the university that represented the academic portion of the university. And by federally registering a, a full, new, refreshed University of Michigan logo, as well as a, as a detailed identity system, I was able then to carve out a space for the schools and colleges and the institutes and centers to generate revenue on behalf of those pride points that, and, and, and their alumni base and their and the parents and the students and perspectives and so on, uh, right down to staff and faculty that the, that the uh, schools and colleges hadn't had before. And so at the University of Michigan, there is still that, that sort of behemoth of the athletic department that generates so much. It's a phenomenal amount of revenue. Um, it, the University of Michigan typically is in the top five in regards to annual revenue generated 
based on the school identity. Uh, but we were able to carve out a, a nice little portion of, of funding or revenue for those schools and colleges in addition to. Um, and so we're playing along in parallel nicely and cooperatively with the athletic department. And it allows the academic programs to gain a degree of awareness, a, a significant amount of awareness based on that athletic prowess or presence that's already there. Great, all great points. And that leads into my next question around the importance of trademarks and licensing. And I think you both alluded to that as what it can do really for the academic side of the house. But if you were to help explain a senior leader, say a dean or a provost or vice provost, what have you about, um, or even the CFO, you know, we need to have a robust trademarks and licensing program and we need to have it centralized and not just off on the, on the, on the, you know, whether it's football, hockey, what have you, not just on that side. What would you say? What would your talking points be, if you will? Well, I'll, I'll start Erica and then and please uh, join in and, um, I think one of the challenges in the higher ed space is that you have academic leadership that is in charge of managing and running, um, a, you know, and in some instances, you know, a multi-billion-dollar uh, institution. And coming from an academic space, uh, the awareness and the understanding of the of, of a brand and the proper the products or the properties that your audience associates with might be a little. Uh, well, a little misunderstood or just lacks a degree of attention or awareness. Um, and so it's really important to, I think, first and foremost, talk about the, uh, the importance of protecting that historical brand that you, that you represent. And first and foremost, that's really, and as, as Eric had pointed out, that's the first thing that we need to do is make sure that you, you have your arms around all those components that, that, are, uh, that represent your university and, and actually find their way into products and merchandise and swag and make sure that that's all captured. And it does need to be centralized in order for it to be effective and, in, and to ensure that the university understands where and how that, that the, the identity, if it's one or multiple pieces, are being utilized on behalf of the brand. Because those touch points really do, um, they, they create relationships with your audience in ways that the university needs to be aware of. And so first and foremost, I think the first thing you need to do is demonstrate that um, you just cannot have a Wild West mentality with your identity. Um, and, and you'll find, you'll find uh, instances where somebody or an entity will be using it uh, for their own advantage, perhaps at a disadvantage of your university or in direct conflict with what you stand for. And so it's important you protect yourself. And that's, a, that's kind of a, a, a well-understood um, paradigm in, in the corporate world, but more and more in higher ed, that's become uh, extremely important as, and really as our society as a whole has become much more aware about brand and presence and impact and what it means and, and the associations with it and so on. Yeah, that's good points. And the only thing that I'd like to add is that what I've learned um, being on the campus side of the house versus in the in athletics is that many of the colleges that I've that I've worked with kind of cringe at the word profit, and mm -hmm. a lot of them don't 
feel like that their marketing should equal an ROI of a profit um, that relates it's like to 10 years ago when we couldn't use the word brand or customer. Right. right. Yeah. And yeah. so I think if um, what I've done at Purdue is, is really learn more about the colleges and their assets and what they are trying to convey to their audiences, whoever their audiences might be. And then I look at those programs and see how we can work with our current list of licensees to help further that message. And one example is right now, I'm working with our College of uh, Human and Health Sciences and we have we've developed a Purdue Tartan, so a Purdue Plaid. Um, it was actually developed several years ago but no one knows about it. And it's not incorporated into any of our licensed product that is being sold at any of our retailers. Uh, the story of a student designing it hasn't been told. Um, and so I'm working with that college right now um, and we are going to develop some product using that pattern and placing it at retail and including a simple hang tag on it that talks about the HHS program about the student that developed the tartan, its history, um, and we've worked with selecting a set group of licensees that are willing to help us. And in exchange, a portion of those sales will go back to HHS to help further that. Um, also with that, we're, um, some of the professors are really into sustainability and textiles and you know who who's great for having those guest professors speak to the students in those areas than our Purdue licensees. So we even have some licensees that are interested in coming into classrooms, talking about their sustainability and their corporate social responsibility plans, talking about textiles and the sourcing of those textiles. We have the Fair Labor Association that's willing to come in on campus and speak to those classes. So I feel like there's a lot of times it's so easy to think that trademarks and licensing is just about we want to sell t-shirts, <laughs> but there's a lot more uh, resources and opportunities that our licensees can provide and help with the education that I think the colleges are looking for in reaching out to their audiences. Um, so it, it can be different forms of profit and resources and branding and, and awareness push um, that if colleges could work a little bit more collaboratively with their trademark and licensing office, um, that we, we can benefit and, and help there. I think a lot of people too think of trademark and licensing as the, the cops, <laughs> the, the no police. And so they're afraid to reach out because they think the answer is always going to be no. And there are times we do have to say no. Um, and, but, but we can also provide that resource to help. Um, I've had some colleges and, and athletics as well try to utilize either the branding or the trademarks or verbiage from other corporations or other entities and we've been able to say, oh, you might not want to use that phrase 
because it belongs to so-and-so. Or as they are developing new programs and they're coming up with their phrase, they can contact me and I can do a search really quick and say, oh yes, that, that, that verbiage should be fine. You know, you won't get a CND from someone somewhere um, saying that you're violating their marks as well. So I think the collaboration can start from the very beginning of the planning sessions for their marketing plans and their initiatives and see how we can further their marketing plans because that's how I view trademarks and licensing. I'm here to help further your marketing plans. Right, right. There's, I, I think there's a few things, you know, we use, we're using the words marketing, we're using the words profit, customers, and certainly, you know, at, at each uh, university, there, there may or may not be comfort level with those kind of, with, with that kind of uh, language uh, or nomenclature. I know that, that when I transitioned over to higher ed, I found that I had a whole suite of words that I would use in place of, and I found that certainly when you say, when we say the word marketing out in the corporate world or outside of higher ed, that translates to the word awareness for the academic world. When we say profit or money in the outside world, that translates to revenue for the university uh, audience. And then certainly when we say customers, we're talking about constituents. And I found personally at the University of Michigan that 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 finding the proper language that the academic administration and the academic community understands and um, can identify and, and and value was really critical for us to get the message out that the of, of the importance, uh, particularly with you know as Erica said, protecting your brand, uh, and then providing some unity around the identity of your, uh, around your messaging, your language, but then foremost, you know, generating awareness on behalf of your academic um, pursuits and that, that the ability to get, to utilize what might feel like an athletic logo or a, uh, uh, or a t-shirt of, of, you know, your mark on a t-shirt, uh, the idea that that actually does, that there's an opportunity to utilize that to generate awareness about the uh, the academic intent and pursuit of your university and its impact on the community uh, is is incredibly important and if it and, and, and a well functioning uh, trademarks and licensing and branding um, uh, entity within a university uh, is doing that effectively by reaching out to the schools and colleges and others to ensure that they're on they're on message and that there's some unity around whatever that universal language is for the university, but it's also generating revenue. And that revenue can be utilized um, to help advance programs, whether it goes into student, helping support student programs, or it actually just helps to generate additional uh, awareness and marketing uh, revenue for the university to go after uh, prospective students outside of uh, the typical region where, where they draw students. Those things are all incredibly important uh, in the competitive higher ed space. And certainly, I don't know of any university that's sitting on a lot of money. Um, every university, the provosts are, uh, your, your provost and your, your academic leadership are struggling to understand or to, to dole out the funds of the university in a way that can be most effective. And certainly, first and foremost, that needs to be about the academic pursuit and research of the university. And so anytime a university can generate additional revenue that, that is a win-win, meaning a win for the constituents as well, a win for the university, generated awareness and revenue, and then using that to, to, to continue further pursuits that are outside of the traditional academic channels, 
Well, that's a that's a that is an effective uh, use of 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 your brand. Yeah, it looks like we lost Ken, so I'll just continue on that thought with some sure. examples of how I've been able to work with some of our colleges on campus. Um, probably the most famous one that's out there right now is our beer. <laughs> Purdue wow. has two beers, actually. We have Boiler Gold and Boiler Black. We launched Boiler Gold first, and then a year later launched uh, Boiler Black. And 100% of the royalties generated from both of those beers goes back to our Ag, our College of Ag and our Fermentation Studies program. And in the first year of, oh, of the product, um, Boiler Gold uh, was at retail. Uh, we were able to generate $14,000 in royalties uh, off of just the one beer. And again, that $14,000 went to the Ag Department and the Fermentation Studies. Um, so that, that product is continuing to do very well. Um, it's actually our number one non-apparel item. Uh, we sell more beer than we do lanyards or keychains um, or anything else um, on the non-apparel side. Um, but again, it's, it's a way to place messaging on the cans. Um, we were able to put the, the story that the product does generate funding for our fermentation studies program. Um, we were able to change the branding when we were celebrating our 150th anniversary. So the 150th logo went on the cans. Um, and, you know, the product is sold at football games. Uh, and everybody thinks that um, the product is a sponsorship of athletics, but actually it is not. Um, People's Brewery does not have an athletic sponsorship. So it's, it's solely a licensed product uh, that is uh, produced by uh, a company that is, has connections with Purdue and, again, helps um, fund our fermentation studies program at Purdue. I, I love that story. Um, and when you shared that the first time with me, Erica, um, and, and I still I think it's a great example of, of, of a gutsy move by the University of Purdue or Purdue University to take uh, to, to step into that space uh, and a space certainly that has got a, uh, a high degree of affiliation with athletic pursuits, certainly from uh, an alum and, and fan base. And uh, it's a great story in that it demonstrates how something that on the surface, your legal department, your, your your legal team may say, I, we don't want to touch that. Um, but but uh, it actually, if you dig a little deeper, there's a narrative and a story there that is true to the university's uh, pursuits in regards to research and, um, and and the ability to connect that to an audience that, that has an affinity for the university and generate revenue and, tell, and get that story out there. And it's a counterintuitive story, right? And the, Produce got a beer can. Tell me more, because that's really unconventional, particularly from higher ed. So, uh, it's a great example of a university being very smart and uh, and thoughtful and careful about how to utilize uh, the brand in ways that is true to the brand, but also maybe a little unconventional and 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 gets people to to uh, understand deep the deeper connection that the university has to. 
uh, whether it's applications uh, that are, and consumer goods, um, and certainly, you know, if you roll that back a few steps, obviously into just just pure research that is used um, by that you know through your tech transfer offices that's that's utilized by third parties to advance any number of different um, categories of uh, of products and services. It's it's a great story. Thanks. Yeah, so I'm also familiar with that a little bit. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's where I went to school and also worked with Erica as a colleague in the Purdue Marketing and Media Department. Um, it also brought to my attention about, you know, how colleges and academic areas can really take advantage of a trademarks and licensing program People think that it's always the master brand with the capital M that is really, you know, benefiting um, in in all senses of the word. But really, if you have a college of health, if you have an ag program, if you're doing just about anything, there is an opportunity, especially if there's an affinity and there's some, some relationship and association and that it aligns with what Steve was just talking about, that it is aligning with your brand mission. Right. I mean, if, if folks that are listening to this, if you look at Purdue, and if Purdue can take a, 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 a beer and, and be able to market it, generate revenue on behalf of, tie it to the Purdue brand, and tell a story that makes sense, then you ought to be able to take your existing brand and do some things that maybe aren't quite as far out there. Um, so... That, that's why I, I just I just love that story, and I, I I hope I hope others that are listening in are are um, understanding that you know there are things within reach, and there's things that that would surprise people, but certainly might surprise people internally within the academic institution, but from a consumer perspective and from your affinity base would be would be aligned and natural and and welcomed by your uh, constituents, um, and and they they they'd be happy to engage with your brand in certain spaces that you might not be playing in right now. Yes, so speaking our... of listeners, go sorry, ahead. Erica. No, go ahead. So we have a Twitter question. Okay. This is Chris Ramsey on Harrod Live. Hi, Chris. Um, his question is, have you all experienced any ethical pushback with regards to the idea of profits being a focus or target? in trademarks and licensing on campus. And this uh, this goes a little bit to your comment, Erica, about how that's a word that is a little bit of an aversion for some people. Mm -hmm. How would you respond to this question? Yes, we I have ran in, run into that um, here at Purdue. Um, there is a program that our licensee uh, named Top of the World does every year and it's called Declaration Days. And Top of the World is a headwear company. And they reach out to all of their universities that they have a license with. And they develop a program where um, it's much like signing day in athletics. That, you know, typically when a kid signs their national letter of intent, they put on a hat that designates, you know, where they're going to school. Well, Top of the World has taken that program and rolled it out on the academic side and has worked with admissions staff and other groups on campus 
to try to do that same concept where um, they, they roll out the program, they, they supply the headwear, um, and they ask for students when they declare where they're going to go to college that they put their hat on um, from that school and they post something on social media and um, Top of the World helps with any assets that, uh, marketing assets that the admissions team could use. Um, sometimes they come on campus and set up a place within your union for, for students to come there to do their declaration. Um, and when um, I received the package to see if that's something that we wanted to do at Purdue, um, it was met with some hesitancy of um, admissions not wanting to feel like they were soliciting um, or, or, or being that, that push out there um, to, the, to the students. So we did not participate in that program. Um, and speaking with some other Big Ten schools, they got the same pushback from admissions that they, were, they weren't comfortable with the way that the program was set up. And it felt like there was some solicitation going on um, and even Top of the World offered some scholarship dollars to uh, students that could enter a contest um, by their social media post and, um, and that they could have a chance to win some scholarship dollars uh, to the university. But again, there was that, that hesitance of Purdue coming across as we were soliciting. And um, I know that Penn State decided not to, to do it as well. Um, and, and so that's, that's where I've seen the most hesitancy, um, is when there's programs like that, where it is talking to a, a general group of potential students. Um, I can understand where sometimes there might be that concern that we don't want to come across as we are soliciting those students. Mm -hmm. right. If that helps, this is the question. Yeah, so how do you walk that line and how do you get people on board? I, I feel like this was a challenge a few years ago when we we're trying to help people understand why it's not the philosophy of if you build it, they will come, that there is a need to do marketing, there's a need to do branding, there's a need to do all of the above. And now it's almost like if you're not doing it, it's it's a problem and academics realize that. Now, I, I feel like we are five years five years out from academics understanding the value of trademarks and licensing because guess what? It has the word profit associated with it. So how, how might we go about that? Steve, do you have any other thoughts? Well, I think that's where, you know, going back to what I had stated earlier is that I think, you know, we might use profit as shorthand um, to describe the revenue that's being generated on behalf of the brand as you put the brand to work on behalf of the university. And that's through, you know, uh, third parties licensing the, the, the brand as well as sponsorships and partnerships. But I think it's so important, particularly because of this ethical issue and it's not to be taken lightly. And I think it's the area, the, the ethics around this and the, certainly the perception around it um, could cause an academic to shy away from pursuing, um, pursuing, uh, you know, uh, 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 a path that might generate significant revenue. Now, I can tell you at the University of Michigan, if we were solely focused on generating revenue, if that was a, if that was a, a, a singular focus of the university, 
Well, you'd see the Block M of the University of Michigan on just about nearly any product you could imagine. There's somebody out there that would want it. Now, that, that's not the pursuit of the university, and there are ethics that need to be um, that, that need to be considered, particularly as you look at uh, the reality from the, the parents' perspective. Right, they're sending their child away to your university, to your school, and you are now their caretaker of their perhaps most valued and beloved object. You know, their children. Uh, it's incredibly important that we have the best interest in at heart for those students. And that's that, again, just goes back to why it's so critical that a university has a solid plan in place around trademarks, licensing, and branding so that you can answer those questions effectively, not just from the unit that's responsible for managing that, but also university-wide. So the, uh, the academic counselors that are that 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 are that are that are being uh, that are speaking to uh, prospective students and parents that they can navigate that and be able to say with uh, with with a hundred percent assurity that that you know the work that the university is doing is purely for the benefit of the student body and the pursuit of the university and it's there to, and it's it, it's certainly always first and foremost is. Uh, protecting the student body and the student uh, from outside influences uh, that are interested in, in 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 the almighty dollar versus you know what we're here in the institution um, doing on behalf of that student. So ethics is a big a big part of it, and that's again where I would you know I would encourage any university to to talk about the revenue. That's generated, and I would I just just steer clear of the word profit because there is no profit here, right? We generate revenue on behalf of the university through merchandise and all these very innovative programs, and and with a with a good with a good process in place and a, and a team in place that's looking at it from an ethical perspective. You can ensure that it's there to protect your brand and protect the students that you're that you're um, that 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 are that are part of your family. Um, but uh, but that revenue generation is always steered back into the university. There's certainly nobody that I'm aware of at any university that's getting a, a check um, that they that or a bonus to their uh, to their salary. You know th that money goes back to promote uh, further academic pursuits of the university, and it's just so important that you've got a solid program in place where all of your Brand ambassadors, and that's anybody that's 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 uh, serving the university, um, whether it's an admissions counselor or a staff member or faculty. It's so important that they're able to articulate that very clearly. I think too, a lot of your the colleges are already doing some type of marketing or promotions with a promotional item, um, or. Like here at Purdue, with our ag department, we have cheese, we have ice cream, we have uh, the butcher block, um, and and so right a now. lot of times, a lot of times they have those programs, but they're only marketing them to their alumni association um, or their set of alums. So, you know, we might have the Purdue cheese that is uh, generated by ag alums um, and they're only selling it during Christmas time 
um, to their listserv of, of alums, they're already getting revenue from that program. So what is the problem with them taking that same block of cheese and working with your trademarks and licensing people and getting it into your local grocery stores where then you still are getting that, that, that same revenue back to your program, um, but at a higher amount than you would be from a family that might order, you know, one cheese basket, you know, for the holidays. So I think and getting that, the Purdue Ag name out there then. Exactly, exactly. Um, our ice cream actually was generated by a class project. And um, when it was when it was done, it was supposed to be just sold to our dining services group. Um, and then it started sprinkling out there that we had this Boiler Tracks ice cream. Uh, it was a class project uh, that was in, you know, that, that department. And I found out about it. And now you can get Boiler Tracks at, at retail locations. I'm going to yeah. have to take a check <laughs> some of these products. Oh, great food-related yeah. examples, uh, which uh, is kind of now making my mouth water a little bit. So I guess. Go ahead, Steve. Just say. I mean, maybe this part. Maybe this moves into a, a, another area that 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 can you want to talk about? But you know, we're starting to hit on uh, audience segmentation is really yes. critical, and that's a very critical component. Of, 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 of your policies as a university uh, around trademarks, licensing, and branding is understanding the different audiences that you have. And, and probably the easiest way to, to, to subdivide those would say that you've got an academic uh, segment, you've got an alumni segment, and you have an affinity segment. And if you're thoughtful about how you look at your brand, and, and, and those individual segments and, and where, the brand, where it makes sense, where it makes natural sense for your brand to exist in those segments where those audiences live and play, um, that doesn't necessarily overlap across all three. And you need to be aware of that as well. And that helps, that helps uh, you know, Purdue is making decisions about, about what type of products it's comfortable putting out in the market in part based on the audience that they're targeting. And uh, no, that these are not, these are not for everybody clearly. Um, but, uh, but again, that's so important to have a thorough policy and, and, and vision uh, and standards around what you're comfortable with, what your brand, what your university is comfortable with in this space. Uh, there's tremendous risk around much of this, but done thoughtfully, and done well, uh, it can be a tremendous benefit to the university across multiple areas that we've discussed. Yeah, and that that leads into, well, first of all, I hope, Chris, uh, your question was answered. If not, um, feel free to reach out to either Steve or Erica or both on Twitter as well. Um, I do want to... Uh, say that if there are any more questions, we have about 10 minutes left, so I, I might be able to take one more uh, using the hashtag HireEdLive. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, segmentation and, and from the perspective of, you know, who owns what category as well. And, and you know, there's, there's some 
ambiguity around this whole idea of trademarks and licensing and knowing that certain types of products appeal to certain groups of people and therefore who's in charge? Who's in charge of developing that strategy? Who are the players that need to be at the table? Um, and how can you be nimble and agile with opportunities that trademarks and licensing can present? And I think um, this might be a good time to talk about some opportunistic things that you might have done in your program. So let's let's start a little bit with, with structure and people and partners, and then move into how do you set that up for success and to for that to be a smooth sailing process. And I think we'll call it a wrap after that. Sure. I think the hardest thing for me is the communication and knowing what is happening on campus and in the individual colleges. A lot of the ideas that I discussed today, um, I was not at the table when they were being generated or developed. Um, I heard about them either at our communicators council meetings um, or through our intranet site, uh, Purdue News. Um, probably the, biz the biggest example would be when we were about to celebrate our 150th anniversary, um, or even when we were going to celebrate the, the anniversary of the moon landing um, here at Purdue. Um, and so oftentimes I have to find out who, who am I supposed to be communicating with uh, when I hear about something. And it, it does take a lot of uh, navigating the waters and finding out who's who. Um, but I think it's important for the just to understand that they have a set of knowledge that I need as well. So as we were working on launching the Cradle of Astronaut merchandise line, I needed to work with the engineering college to make sure the phrasing we were using on shirts um, how the college was represented and its name on the shirts was correct. Um, and um, making sure that they would help in promoting the merchandise as it was out there. Um, so I do think that it is a collaborative effort with the marketing strategists that are on campus um, and their, your marketing and media departments, uh, your alumni association, um, when I'm about to post something on social media, I send the graphics to the Alumni Association, the social media coordinator that runs the Purdue University social media campaigns, uh, athletics. Um, we, I send it to several people hoping that they will, they will send that out. But to me, what's worked best is when they're collaborating with the marketing strategist from the individual college the marketing strategists or a set of individuals from marketing and media, also from communications, uh, because most likely I'll wanna do a press release about the, about the item. Um, and if we are all working together just to make sure that the brand is genuine and precise in what we're communicating, then that's what's helped with the success of our programs. Right. I, yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, um, again, if we, if we go back and we think about what's, you know, what might be best practices for a university, 
um, or academic institution, certainly a governance board that is uh, built to look at the brand and look at uh, uh, and, and look at those and weigh in on those opportunities that the brand uh, finds uh, across those audience segments is incredibly important and, and a necessary component. Um, you certainly can't manage this, uh, manage your brand out of out of just the trademarks and licensing and, and a brand person. Um, you know, there's a governance board that you need to, it needs to be thoughtfully assembled from across your university. It's got academic uh, participants. It's got, it's got people from the student body. It's got, uh, it's got folks from athletics and from uh, admissions and from your communications team and, and uh, your research. And if you've got a health center and so on and it, you, you need to make sure that you are covering all your uh, bases in regards to how the brand is, 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 is seen by your different audiences and uh, ensure that you've got good solid input and a point of view from those different aspects of the brand to ensure that you're not cutting something off or you're inadvertently harming part of the brand or working in direct opposition of perhaps uh, you know a, a large portion of of the university or, or how it's perceived so a governance board and then you know as as eric is talking uh, as she mentioned you know, then there are sort of more the, the the tactical members that are tasked with the daily duties of administering what that governance board has identified as the philosophy or the uh, the approach of the university, and and certainly the biggest challenge I think at uh, at, at at any sizable university and even small ones is ensuring that you've got open lines of communication and that people understand. Who to go to when they have those questions, um, and so it's a two-way street. Um, and, and and I think that there's sort of never enough work done um, on behalf of uh, uh, those in higher ed, and in regards to reaching out and keeping everybody across your institution abreast of what's going on, and what the policies and direction is of the university, and then also that feedback from those individual units and, and uh, uh, institutes and centers and colleges and degree granting programs and alumni clubs and, I mean, you name it, um, what's going on in their part of the world and how do those things intersect and how do we make sure that, that, the, that, that, that there's a degree of harmony uh, across the board um, in, in all aspects of, of how your audiences engage with your brand. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the the task is never fully done, right? There's always mm -hmm. ongoing opportunities. There's always more to do. There's always other means of getting to the people. And, you know, the, the world is your horizon in the sense of the types of things that can be put out there. And every day it seems to be like changing. Um, it's also so having that governance group and people and philosophy in place to react sometimes. I mean, you'd like to be proactive. You think for at least for the 150th, for instance, that there is some time to think about that, right? You know when it's coming and you know when that's up. But in the case of, say, when something's featured on TV, how do you take advantage of that and quickly turn something around? Do you want to talk real quick about that, Erica? <laughs> yeah, so um, I think you're referring to Stranger Things and uh, how a Purdue shirt was featured on one of the characters of um, Stranger Things 3. 
Um, it was a surprise <laughs> to, to us. Netflix did not reach out to us and ask for permission or let us know that the shirt was going to be featured on the, sh on the show, um, which happened, I believe it was 4th of July weekend on top of that. <laughs> and I mean, what happens if Netflix was to you, they use something without permission? <laughs> yeah, it kind yeah. of counter to what we're trying to discuss here, right? Exactly, exactly. And that was my <laughs> struggle when, and I, and I don't watch Stranger Things, so I wasn't aware that it was on there until my phone became very active that day, <laughs> and uh, and Twitter became very active that day. And um, so my first response was, "Wait, they can't do that. How'd they do that? Where'd they get that dirt? Where'd it come from?" Um, so the compliance side kicked in really quick, and then it quickly turned into, oh, that's pretty cool. We got to sell that shirt. We got to try to get that shirt. Um, and so I worked with our licensing agency uh, to getting in communication with Netflix's licensing agency. And of course, as you might imagine, they said, oh, I hope you're enjoying the free publicity uh, <laughs> of being there. So I really couldn't hammer in the, the non-compliance uh, that they, they conducted. But, um, but I did ask, you know, where they got the shirt from so that we could sell the shirt. And of course, they said that the um, production crew just made it mm -hmm. um, and that um, they, they, they couldn't tell me where it was made. Um, and so the challenge was um, the cut of the shirt, it, it being vintage, uh, it being a women's cut, it being a short sleeve sweatshirt, but most importantly, it being blue instead <laughs> 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 of colors. <laughs> and so, um, so when I saw it, we we just quickly reached out to our licensee base and asked, you know, who could make the shirt? Does anybody have that fabric available? Um, and no one did. And so then we had to go into a sourcing issue. Um, and we had one licensee that said, you know, we can recreate it, but we're going to have to hand sew and cut each individual shirt. Um, oh and, um, and so it took about two months from when the shirt appeared on, on camera, on TV, until when we actually had it uh, at retail. Um, but we were thankful that we had a licensee that was willing to to jump on board, uh, get the shirt made, and it launched on September 18th. And um, we sold about 800 of them the first day. And um, they're, they're still continuing to sell. Uh, we were able to use marketing and media to do the, the photo shoot, and we used some interns um, to recreate the, the look of Scoops Ahoy um, by utilizing Pappy's that's on campus here that looks like a vintage ice cream shop. Um, and we recreated the scene and, and shot the photos and used that for all of our collateral. And um, our goal was to get it out by Halloween because we kept hearing from, from Purdue fans that they wanted to wear as Halloween costumes. So, um, <laughs> So that's, we, we had to work really quick. And, and honestly, I felt like we didn't work quick enough because I felt two months was a long time from when yeah. the viewers saw it to when it actually launched, but uh, was very grateful for the success of it once we did, did launch the shirt. Yeah, well, you know, this, that's testament to just having a robust program to really know what to do, who to go to, 
how to execute this and and you know take advantage of the free publicity if you will right um so with halloween around the corner i guess we'll see uh, <laughs> what all, what all the social media pictures uh look like but having said that i think we are out of time but i am so grateful and thank you both so much i feel like we could talk about this topic for <laughs> hours and hours and think about ways we can continue to do better and more and establish good practices and best practices and take advantage of opportunities, which there's never enough time in the day to do. But um, if listeners and viewers have any other questions, where can they find you? Yeah, I'd be happy to answer any questions um, or even help your licensing program. Um, if your your licensing directors have any questions, I'd be more than happy to help them. Um, my email address is austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, 55, at purdue.edu. Um, so please feel free to share my email, and um, I'm more than willing to help any way that I can with, you, with your programs. Yeah, Thank you. That's what I think is very nice. We are all very collegial with one another. And Steve, if you wouldn't mind sharing your information too. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I would say to folks that, like, you know, if you're struggling, if you're having a difficult time getting academic leadership to listen or to corral folks around this or, or, or just to put together a very clear, articulated uh, message and, and two-minute pitch to your university, um, that expresses uh, the value and perhaps also the urgency and the importance of, of having an effective brand and, and, and trademarks and licensing policy in place, reach out to folks. That is one of the wonderful things about higher ed is there's a, just a tremendous degree of collegiality from school mm -hmm. to school. And then certainly, you know, if I can just plug myself, absolutely, you know, in my role as a consultant, um, I'm here to help. And, uh, and, 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 and fortunately have some experience in this space and some, and some uh, things to point to and resources to, uh, to, to offer. And I can be reached at SF, like San Francisco, Bush, like the beer, if we stay in that <laughs> thing for a moment, B-U-S-C-H, at gmail.com. Great. Thank you both again. And... Um, I guess we can call it a wrap and I hope anyone who wasn't able to make the live pop broadcast will listen to the podcast on the go. Thank you again, M. Stoner, for sponsoring Higher Ed Live. And thank you, Steve, and thank you, Erica. <laughs>